0: Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast, encouragement and hope in a despairing world. My name is Chris, and it is an honor and a privilege to open up God's word with you tonight. It's weird how we say that, that we're going to open up God's word. What we believe as Christian is that, as Christians, is that God somehow speaks to us in and through the Bible. Our hope, when we open the scriptures, is to hear the voice of God. And when we stop to think about that, it's a rather bold claim. We've just heard it so often that we haven't thought about it lately, probably. We actually think that somehow we can open up this book and study it. Meditate upon it, pray on it, and that somehow the voice of God will come out of it and speak to us. We say these phrases so, so blithely, but they're actually pretty shockingly strange. I mean, it's a pretty mystical, it's a pretty supernatural idea, this idea of hearing the voice of God in and through a book. And obviously, accepting this claim will bring a certain amount of reverence to the text. It's no wonder, for instance, that people have literally given their lives to protect the text of the Bible. It might surprise you to learn that people gave their lives just to translate the Bible into English. They literally were martyred because they wanted the language of this book in their own tongue in English people like John Tyndale right it's shocking when you think about it um, how these people have given their lives to protect this book and sometimes if we're honest it collects dust in our homes when we consider all of this, we hope, hopefully you can recognize the importance of handling the Scriptures with care and integrity, right? Uh, we don't just make the Scriptures say what we want them to say. We try to figure out what they're saying, you know? We hope that God will speak to us in His voice through these Scriptures. I was thinking about it. Imagine with me that God, like, showed up here tonight... Just imagine that. That'd be crazy. (laughs) But he showed up and he said, hey, would you join me in the hallway? I want to talk to you. Just you personally. I want to talk to you, right? I don't know how you would respond to that, but as I was thinking about that, I have two conflicting emotions. On one, I'm extraordinarily honored that God would want to speak to me. Um, It's like, you want to speak with me? Really? And then um, I was... I would be simultaneously um, terrified. Like, uh, you want to speak with me? (laughs) Same phrase, but meaning something very different. And it's this combination of excitement and trepidation and honor that accompanies faithfully opening up and studying God's Word. It's this belief that God actually does want to speak with us. But before we begin, let's bow our head and pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, that the thoughts and the meditations of each one of our hearts would be holy. It would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Speak to us tonight through your word. Amen. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. Well, tonight we're in the Gospel of John, and as this passage opens, Jesus is squarely in the midst of a confrontation with the religious leaders, the religious elite, the the Pharisees. And these leaders continue to doubt Jesus. They continue to publicly criticize him, to um, sort of question his intentions, It's obvious they're quite threatened by his message. They keep trying to discredit him. And so Jesus does what any logical person would do when people are questioning their character and their intentions. He tells them all about how he's a good shepherd. I thought that would land. That didn't land. (laughs) I mean... Again, this is one of these things that like, we've heard so often that maybe we haven't thought about how shocking it is that Jesus is qualifying himself as a leader by saying he's a good shepherd. That's as strange in the ancient world as it is today because in the ancient world, they chose leaders just like we tend to choose leaders today. In the ancient world, they chose leaders because they were maybe from an important family or whether maybe they were wealthy or successful. Maybe they chose their leaders because of their physical appearance. It's, it's shocking. I read this article about how often people wanted to bestow leadership to people who are attractive. It explains so much about my own life. I, um... <laughs> but it is shocking how we ascribe leadership to these things like wealth, influence. We, we, we ascribe leadership to, to people who um, have had success in one area of life, right? But the Bible beginning in the Old Testament sort of is countercultural in this way because we a good example of the person who, who sort of fit the mold of what we think of as a leader or what human instinct sort of thinks of as a leader, is Saul, right? King Saul in the Old Testament. He was a little taller than everybody else. He was handsome. He was wealthy. He was from the right family. He had influence. And they said, oh, you should be our king. Um, it turns out he was a terrible king. So then God sends his prophet Samuel to go find a new king. And he goes to this little out-of-the-way place. And he, he looks... Um, he finds this family, not a serious, very consequential family. And then he goes to one of the younger sons who is a shepherd in the field, David, right? And so some of this shepherding archetype comes from David, who, becomes, who begins to be seen as the greatest king in Hebrew history, right? So we read about David all over the Old Testament, but in Psalm 78, David... Um, It said uh, that he shepherded the people with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. There's something about shepherds, because shepherds, even back then, as well as today, are not sort of, they're sort of, uh, they're blue-collar folk. They're not uppity. They're sort of humble people, right? It's hard to have too much pride As a shepherd, you're out in the field all day with these animals. But also, shepherds are courageous, right? Shepherds literally defend sheep from predators and from robbers. And so if you think about it from that perspective, shepherds have some of the qualities you'd want in a leader. And and in fact, in the Old Testament, God also sort of talks about himself as a shepherd, like what we read tonight in Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul i didn't grow up in a christian home and i wasn't a christian until later as an adult i remember the first time i heard psalm 23 was in the king james version and the king james version of the bible is actually really beautiful in the psalms um, the lord is my shepherd I shall not want, or whatever it says there. I remember the first time I read that, though. I was like, why don't, why don't we want him? I don't. Well, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't know why we don't want him. And um, it's funny, though, that King James Version is so beautiful that all the translations ever since haven't clarified that because they're still stuck on that original translation that's so beautiful. I mean, if you were to translate this from scratch without that King James Version, what you would say is, The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will have no want. Right? But instead, he's the shepherd we don't want. You know, we shall not want. Okay. So given this context, it's really not a surprise that Jesus hearkens to the shepherding imagery, the shepherding archetype, when confronting the Pharisees. Jesus says the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So the first aspect of a good shepherd, you can tell a good shepherd by looking behind them, right? Because sheep follow a shepherd. Shepherds are very different than cowboys. Cowboys have to poke and prod the cattle from behind and make them go forward but shepherds even today um, lead their sheep from in front of them through their voice and it's funny that voice the the idea that the sheep know the distinct voice of their particular shepherd is still very much true today shepherds will gather together multiple shepherds will gather together in a single field where all their sheep will graze at the end of the day. The shepherd will walk away and start speaking, and only his sheep will follow him. That's how shepherding works. Sheep follow the voice of the shepherd. Well, Jesus continues, therefore, the passage continues, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep... Have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have a life and have it to the full. So the true shepherd, the good shepherd, provides for the sheep. Jesus says that the good shepherd is the closed gate that protects the sheep at night. Uh, Let me give you an an image for this. So shepherds lead their sheep into sort of an enclosed area, and then the shepherds would literally lie down in front of the enclosure, thus becoming the gate, because the sheep wouldn't trample them to get out of the gate. And, and he's protecting them from robbers and predators by laying in front as the gate. So that's how he's the shepherd and the gate. It's the same illustration. He didn't change illustrations. Shepherds, good shepherds, are gates. But it's interesting how the full life that Jesus is prescribing is characterized not only by open fields, but also by enclosed protective pens. So a sheep without boundaries is a sheep without protection, and a sheep without protection is an anxious, scared sheep. I remember when I was reading this passage, studying for this, I I was thinking about that and thinking about how sort of countercultural that is today, right? The idea that the abundant life not only comes from the wide open field, but also from the protective pen, right? that a sheep without those boundaries is an anxious sheep and not a sheep living into an abundant life. That part of the abundant life includes those times in an enclosed pen, a place with boundaries. Well, Jesus continues. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus is the good shepherd. But he's so much more than that, right? We know that Jesus is God. And so when he says that he truly knows us, he really does truly know us. He says, I know my sheep, and they know me. He knows us, everything about us. He knows where and how we wander, for instance. He knows the scars that we carry. He knows how we might be hobbled or lame right he knows all of it all of who we are and all of what we've done all of the possibilities of who we can become and to all of that so let's pause for a moment again it's like a catch 22 it's like a and negative to say like jesus knows all of you everything you're like wow i feel so honored jesus knows me but you're also like oh man jesus knows <laughs> jesus knows me right so, um, but to all of that, to every bit of knowledge he has about you, all the ways that you might be prone to wander, all of the scars and those ways that you're hobbled, all of your unrealized potential, to all of that, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. All the sheep. He lays down his life. And from this point on in the Gospel of John, Jesus begins really ramping up the references to his impending death, his crucifixion and resurrection. And it's important to pause for a moment because in the passage, if you go back and read it, you'll see that he, he says multiple times that he chooses death. He chooses to lay down his life for the sheep. And it's important that we remember that Jesus is not a victim He's not a victim. That Jesus intentionally allows his life to be taken so that we might have life. And in many ways, this is Jesus' greatest qualification as a leader, right? That he chooses to die that we might live. This last last season, uh, the last 18 months, I've had an opportunity, a tragic opportunity to see death up close. Uh, my best friend died uh, about four weeks ago. He is one of the pastors at the mission. He was actually the senior pastor of the mission Chattanooga, Ben Ferguson. Forty years old. Two young daughters, a wife. Um, battled with colon cancer for 18 months and it took his life. It was devastating. Hor- horrific. just one of the more painful things i've ever been through to watch my my close close friend pass away and i concluded that i hate death i mean i really hate it Um, it's just the most devastating thing and so now when i read these passages passages where it says that Jesus lays down his life for his sheep it means something different to me that Jesus does that horrible thing so that I might live I know that's not new knowledge you've certainly probably heard somebody say before that Jesus died that you might live right? Somehow, when you see death so close hand, so close up, it brings a new meaning to it, because I think it can become an abstraction. Um, It's the most horrible thing ever, and Jesus says, I'll do it, that you might live. So this is great news, to be sure, that we have a good shepherd in Jesus. As I was reading this passage, I couldn't help We'll be challenged by one thing in it. Because over and over again, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. In fact, near near the end of the chapter, he really exhaustively says this. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. That they shall never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. What I became more and more convicted of as I was reading this passage was this idea of listening to Jesus and knowing his voice and knowing his voice specifically and knowing his voice distinctly from every other voice, right? As it turns out, the defining characteristic of a sheep is that they follow their shepherd. And how are you gonna follow your shepherd if you don't know his voice, right? And the question that kept coming to my mind isn't whether or not Jesus is a good shepherd, but rather, am I his sheep? Now, some of you know that at the Mission Chattanooga, at each parish we practice this, but at the Mission Chattanooga, we do this thing called a group hermeneutic, this thing called a preaching team. Mission Chattanooga, we get together. I'm sure they do this in Mission Cleveland. We have preaching teams. And all the pastors at Mission Chattanooga, we gather together and we look at the passage together that's going to be preached. And recently I was in a preaching team meeting and we came across a passage. And oh my goodness, like, I, I just, I was super challenged by this passage. And so I began asking questions, and, um, and at first the preaching team all thought I was asking questions for the sake of preparing the sermon, um, but I wasn't. I was literally having a crisis of faith because there was this thing in the passage that I'd never considered before. Here I am, a, a pastor for a long time, and I came into this passage, and I'm looking at it, and it was like, oh my goodness, I might be missing something. And it's not some egregious, like, uh, ugly sin. I'll be honest with you. It's how to handle savings. I've never had that thought before because I've never had savings. (laughs) But recently I've had some savings because my, my grandmother passed away and left me a little bit of savings. And we're reading this passage and I'm realizing that I've been behaving as if that savings is my money. Okay, And I'd never had to think before about what do you do with savings as a Christian. And I won't spoil it for you. I encourage you, if you have savings, to think about that. Um, But So in the passage, I'm just sort of asking rapid-firing questions to a group of pastors, none of whom have savings. So we're all just guessing. And we're reading scriptures, and we're all flipping back and forth, and we're all trying to figure out what to do about savings. I realized I was living in some legalism because I was like, well, but somebody already tithed on this savings. Therefore, this money is now free to do whatever I want to. Well, that isn't, that's legalism. That's not reality. Um, because we say that all of what we have is God's, right? That means that my savings is God's. But I wasn't inviting him to tell me what to do with my savings, right? So I'm becoming very convicted. So the preaching team is usually two hours became three and a half hours as everybody's trying to like help me. And then one of the pastors got in the car with me to go pick up my son from school. He picked him up from school. And then I said, do you want to go to dinner? We went to dinner. All together, six hours with that one pastor where he's trying to like help me in my existential angst over I don't know what to do with savings. And the passage seems to tell me I should do something about savings. And then, and then that night I got home and the other pa- another pastor called me and said, listen, um, I've really been concerned about you. You seemed very distraught and preaching team about savings. Altogether, I spent eight hours all because I heard the voice of God in the scripture, right? And it challenged me to change my life. And I realized that I had been listening to the voices all around me and the voices of the prevailing culture. And that's the thing. We have so many voices in our life. Some of those voices are overtly bad. Some of those voices are just merely a distraction Some of those voices have some bit of wisdom, but guess what? There's only one voice that we can completely trust, and that's the voice of God. So listen, Mission Cleveland. If that's true, how might it impact our lives this year? What would be the implications of that? What would be the implications of that? His sheep know His voice. They listen to His voice and they follow Him. And if this is true, what might be the implications? What kind of habits, what kind of patterns might we want to establish this year? How might we want to cultivate our listening and calibrate our ears to hear the, good, the voice of the Good Shepherd? Because He knows us and He knows how to lead us into that abundant life that He promises. But Mission Cleveland, take time to listen open up god's word in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen speak truth to my heart thanks for listening join us at the mission cleveland next week